0: guys it 's John Nelson, and this is the starting block podcast. <laughs> guys, this is a show for complete athletic development. Our objective here is to give you the tools to win, whether you 're the athlete, the parent, or the coach. That is our mission, and this mission is growing as you guys continue to share the show, and we greatly appreciate that and so um, with that, if you 're new to our show, want to welcome you, thanks for joining us we got a really good episode planned for you today, but let's uh, go ahead and go through some of the housekeeping stuff first. Now, if you're new to the show, we have multiple episodes within the show. We're a little different than the standard podcast. So the first type of episode you'll hear from us is going to be the Q&A. That's where myself and my co-host Chris Scarborough, what's up? Good
1: afternoon, guys.
0: That is where Chris and I will take the questions that you guys submit to us and Answer them online. These will be anything from training, rehab, performance, nutrition, anything like that. You name it, we will tackle it. And Chris, where can they send those questions to? Info at Cool.
1: That
0: is Q and A. Next episode is going to be the guest interview and this is what you hear on most podcasts and it's exactly what it sounds like this is where we're going to meet with our colleagues from across the country across the globe and they're going to share their stories of success how they win with their clients their patients and we're really proud to be able to network you guys with some of these coaches and doctors and therapists across the country we're bringing you people that know how to win and that's what the guest interview is and that's what today is and i'll bring our guest on here in just a second and then the final episode you'll hear from us is going to be that Friday fire fact, might be Saturday sermon, just depending on if I can get to it, because I actually do operate a business. This isn't my full time job, although I kind of like, would like for it to be. I enjoy this. But that's basically 10 to 20 minutes of me giving you a little bit of insight into maybe some off-topic stuff related to, you know, athletics, rehab, motivational stuff, business stuff. I don't do those episodes every week. I want to make sure we put good content out there and that uh, you guys get some value for it. Um, And then the final thing is, as you are aware, we have a part of our show that's called Pay Your Dues. That means that if you got any value out of this show, if – you learn something, if you liked the guest, all right, that you share the show. Now, you share it in your own way. You can put it on social media, which we love, but send it to a friend, send it to a coach, send it to a doctor, whoever, just bring us a friend so we can continue to grow this show and spread this message and this mission, okay? We appreciate that. And now, I think that is all the housekeeping that we got for today, So without further ado, we're going to go ahead and introduce our guest. Now, this guest has one heck of a resume. (laughs) So former director of sport performance for Olympic sports at the University of Minnesota, assistant athletic director, strength coach at the University of Arizona. He was an interim director of strength conditioning, University of Wisconsin-Whitewater, and is currently the owner and director of next-level sport performance up in Wisconsin. Ladies and gentlemen, we're proud to welcome Mr. Brad Arnett to the show. Woo-hoo. What's up?
2: <laughs> How are you guys? Thank you for having me on. I'm looking forward to this. And uh, it's been, I, I, I got to admit, I was pleasantly surprised when you did reach out to me. It's been a long time in many years that uh, we've seen or talked to each other. So I'm looking yeah. forward to this.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'll share that story real quick. So, Brad, you and I met, I'd say, That was probably 11 years ago-ish, something like that, 10, 11 years ago,
2: maybe. I would say, yeah, I would say probably 11, yeah, 10, 11, you're right.
0: Yeah, and uh, I I came up with an athlete, and uh, you were running a a camp up there, and uh, I remember we spent a couple days up there and um, got to uh, spend some time learning from you, a couple of your coaches up there, got the opportunity to meet one of your athletes, J.J. Watt, that was cool. I got to witness that box jump he did that one time. Um, that was pretty impressive um, and uh, yeah, that's how we met and we've always sta- we kind of stayed in touch over the years. I mean just you know you know liking photos or posted on social media here and there, but you know we never really have gotten a chance to dig into some you know some shop and and talk some shop you know one of the things that I walked away from um, leaving your facility other than the fact that uh, your facility is like my dream facility and what I intend to build here in Memphis at some point Um, but your breakdown of like 40 yard dash like your technique a lot of the technique stuff with 510 fives things like that I still have all those notes and use all of that stuff today that was that was great stuff.
2: That's awesome. I, I, that's great to hear. And, and it's, uh, I mean, basically when you're doing those 510 5s and L drills and stuff, it's, it's trying to do it, I guess, basically, to be honest with you, you're trying to teach them how to cheat it. Yeah. <laughs> and um, eliminate turns and getting them to understand. You know, the biggest thing with those drills is getting kids to understand the speed that you want to get in the time you want to get in those drills is not going to come by moving 90 miles an hour and constantly running your feet every time you come to a stop but more on stride length and foot count and patterning it, um, getting it through as efficient as possible with as few contacts as possible and being able to control the body and get out um, and it it takes time I mean it does it's it's not always Taking kids through a process where they're constantly doing it at speed mm-hmm. um, because they're learning it. I mean, example: the five ten five start is probably against everything they've ever been taught how to move as an athlete. So it's going to take a time. It's going to take some time for them to get comfortable with that, and um, just slowing it down and teaching the patterning. And in the meantime, you're you're exposing them to how to brace and how to position and emphasizing to them. It doesn't make any difference how much you can squat and how much you can bench and how much you can do everything else. You have to be able to bend and move, and that's what coaches want to see, and that's the epitome of athletic ability. So, you can go to a you can go to a combine, you can go to a showcase, and you can test okay, and you tell the person there, well, I squatted six hundred pounds, and they're going to say, well, that's great, but you don't move
0: real well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. I mean, I agree. Movement's kind of the key to all of it. And, you know, I think a lot of people in the industry, you know, know know you as, you know, uh, J.J. Watts, you know, coach for years. You work with a lot of other NFL guys as well. Um, But, you know, aside from some of the professional athletes, like, yeah, I'd like to dig into some of that. I'd love to hear just your take, because I know you probably still work with a lot of college, you know, high school kids as well. I'd, I'd like to hear you know, your, your take on your system and philosophy of, of training with these kids. Um,
2: everything that we do is 100% based on fluidity of movement. And I think so many times people get hung up on baseball-specific, lacrosse-specific, football-specific, this-specific, that-specific. And I think we lose, sight of, we lose sight of the fact that your body only functions one way. And our goal should be to get that functioning as efficiently as possible. Mm-hmm. And when you look at a lot of, you know, so if you look at high school programs, I get it. I mean, especially where I'm at, we're not in the Sun Belt. So you've got this thing called winter. <laughs> and logistically, schools don't always have room for, these, for them to do movement and running and stuff indoors. So they spend um, the winter months in the weight room and you're really establishing your movement patterns, your force absorption, all of those things get established in the weight room, which in theory should allow you to express yourself as an athlete in movement. And when we get caught up bypassing dinner and going to dessert a lot, and I guess when I say that, what I mean by that is, is a lot of times coaches will Use their perception of athletic ability as their tool to dictate what they're going to do with them in the weight room And I think that's the worst thing you can do your body functions one way and we want to get it to that point point. And so if an athlete can't express himself in movement um, We have to figure out where it's coming from so our whole philosophy is we're going to assess we're going to look at posture And we're going to look at how your shoulders align and how your hips align and we're going to look at ankle mobility and T-spine mobility and hamstring mobility and core on your feet, core on the ground. Um, We're going to look at a lot of things that we're looking for red flags that is going to in our system dictate what we're going to start with and how we're going to actually progress this athlete. Mm -hmm. And so when you look at an assessment you will see, for example, if the right hip is sitting up and in, the opposite shoulder will present the exact same thing. So if the right hip is up and in, they're internally tight, they're externally weak, that hamstring is weak. They're giving up their arch, there's no there's limited counter rotation at the femur, at the hip, there's no internal capacity to get in and out of it. So everything from a movement standpoint, it starts out, it stays out. And then on the left side, it may be down and back, so the posterior capsule's tight, internals weak. Your right shoulder will present the exact same. And as I explained to people, it's like when you look at kids when they bench press and they get to a certain point and you see everything kind of rotating to the right. And right away, everyone's like, well, wait a second. There's got to be something wrong with the right shoulder. Well, it's actually coming from the left because they are so internally tight, externally weak, the hamstring's weak that scap wings, so as soon as the scap wings, because they're sitting so cathodic, that scap wings, it throws the elbow out and shifts everything to the right side. So it's really not a right shoulder issue, it's a left strength, stability, and mobility issue all coming from the left side. And that continues to fall into play with how we're going to progress axial loading them from a squat standpoint, whether it's single leg, double leg, if we're doing lunge variations, frontal plane, um transverse all those things start to come into play and as we see things start to get into place that will then give us the um cue to start to start the progressive overload yeah so, so i want
0: to i want to interrupt real quick like uh because where where you're headed you're starting to head into the lifts and that's something i actually I had a question on for you is you know i don't i don't want to like you know pigeonhole pigeonhole you by any means but like you know, being, you know, a former director of Olympic lifting, I assume you're, you know, a, an Olympic lifting, you know, still utilizing that, you know, bench, squat heavy type of programming, I guess, obviously, you know, meeting the athlete where they are. But I'm just, have you always evaluated things from that movement side of stuff? And how did that progress? Because I feel like in our industry, people are, you're seeing it as a trend now, like, hey, we got to address movement where it used to be probably like, hey, we're just you know ask the grass like figure it out if you can't do it um you know was that a progression for you have you kind of always evaluated movement you know first then build the lift
2: um so when i was at minnesota um kind of cut my teeth so my my journey was a little different Uh, i started out as a graduate assistant and i was a ga for mm, five months the gen- so when you came into the program, you would spend a year with football, and then you would spend a year with um, what you would classify as Olympic sports, so sports that compete in your Olympics, um, a lot of them being non-revenue. Minnesota was a little different because you had basketball was revenue, football was revenue, hockey was revenue, but your golf, your swimming, your wrestling, your tennis, your track and field, things like that were a majority of all the sports that I worked with. So after about five months, the guy that was doing football left and went to UCLA, his name is Kevin Yaxall and uh, he ended up going to Auburn, won a national title. I've known Kevin. You know, I interviewed with him and got the job. But anyways, who I was with was Chris Hartman, moved over, took over. AD called me in and said, hey, the coaches love you. Um, I'm going to make you a temporary head Olympic strength coach, and then when you finish your master's, you can apply, and we'll go from there. So um, that's kind of how my start got there. But what I ended up starting to do was I started spending time, like if we were to go on a trip. So, for example, let's say we would go on a trip with the hockey team. And I would sit next to the orthopedic doctor that was with the team. And we would just sit there and talk about the body and talk about commonality of things that he would see um, and people that would come in, unfortunately, that would already have existing pathology. They blew out a knee or a shoulder or a back or whatever it was. But picking his brain from a standpoint of kind of looking at things from a big scope And how can we be proactive versus reactive and I used to go watch surgeries Um, there was a very good um, physiotherapist that worked with the sports up there and I just really started spending more time of looking at somebody globally distal you know proximal to distal and what's how things are aligning how things are functioning or not functioning and really using that as a tool to help progressions of what i was doing with athletes in the weight room and the the thing with that is you're kind of get stuck in the mercy of your the coaches you're working with right and football being the biggest one unless you've got a coach that understands if he comes down in the weight room and he sees you doing you know split squats or goblet squats or um, different leg progressions of kids at certain times of the year and he's not going to like you know, blow a top and say, "Why aren't these kids squatting and why aren't they deadlifting and this and that and all this other stuff?" Um, sometimes it can get difficult um, when you're when you're dealing with that. But fortunately, um, I always worked with coaches that trusted me and they understood what I was doing and let me do my job. And so, um, that looking at things proximal to distal and kind of the global picture of everything that's going on um, has probably been. Well, it's crazy to think this November I've been doing this for 30 years now. So I would say probably, I would say at least the last 20 to 21, 22 years, I've really implemented it and continue to tweak it and look at things different. And I've got physical therapy in house as well as chiropractic and massage, mm-hmm. and there's a great synergy. So if I've got somebody that comes in and there's something I'm not sure on, I owe, I've got a great relationship with physical therapy, and I may take them down there and say, Hey, take a look at this compare notes and I learn as much from them as they learn from me and we work together and it's just been kind of an ongoing ever-evolving process
0: yeah that's huge and that's so important for the athlete or even general fitness you know client as well because in our industry it's a lot of times it's a it's a big pissing contest too there's a lot of egos involved you know but having that synergy you know with other coaches and and therapists and and doctors really helps the athlete progress Um, you know You've been doing this 30 years now. I'm only 36. Uh, <laughs> what What have you seen change the most in strength and conditioning over the last 30 years? Um,
2: I'll preface it with a story. Can I do, do that? that?
0: Absolutely. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. More The
2: more stories, well, the better. I love it. So I'm at Arizona and we always had Canadian and European teams, track teams that would come in for winter training trips. Um, They're in the winter. We didn't get winter down there. So they'd come (laughs) down and they'd train. So um, great guys always came in and they used the weight room. So obviously we'd do things at the track and then they would utilize the weight room. So the weight room that we had there was 24,000 square feet and it housed all of the teams and we just rotated through and that's just the way we did it so one Friday afternoon I took these two guys out for happy hour and there was this place right off of campus called the Trident and at the time the guy that owned it was an active Navy SEAL and I just loved it it was it was clean it was courteous it was great food and you could kind of sit in a corner and not get bothered and you could talk so we go over there one day and I'm like alright guys I got a question for you and I'm like yeah okay I said alright so what is this We always hear about Western training versus Eastern training, right? Like I look at it as there's a right way and there's a wrong way. So you squat one way, you push one way, you pull one way. You can add different little variations to it, right? So you can do things that are a little bit more velocity-based if you wanna add chains or bands or, you know, you can add your own little things to it. But what is the biggest difference? Like I always hear this Western versus Eastern training. Like you guys gotta explain this to me. And without hesitation, the gentleman from Europe looked at me and he said we understand the concept of time development Westerners want to send their kids somewhere and in 12 weeks. He, they expect them to be the next Wayne Gretzky and We understand the fact that certain things have to be in place and it's not till they get it It's till it's never wrong and then take the next step and then take the next step and then take the next step which kind of ties me into a lot of the sports and things that we have today that, you know, kids that are 13, 14 years old that are specialized. And it's like um, you're, you're, you're losing out on that concept of development and just developing the athlete. And, you know, I tell parents this all the time with baseball players, okay, technique and hitting and throwing and all that stuff is going to take you to a certain point. And you're all going to hear the same thing. Your coach is going to say the technique is there. If you If you want your kid to hit the ball out or get it, you know, 10 yards passing infield, kids got to get stronger. And then the flip side, you look at it from the standpoint of a society, we play and we play and we play till we get hurt. And it's very common in a lot of your what you would classify at a college level, your non-revenue sports. So what I mean by that is, is that okay, football's revenue, basketball's revenue. Well, for the most part, football is pretty Synonymous with if you're going to play football, you're going to train. You're going to lift weights, and you're going to condition, and you're going to do things. Well, when you look at a sport like baseball, you look at a sport like lacrosse, soccer, um, swimming, things like that, those kids garner those opportunities basically on their laurels alone. They're not there because they're a gym rat. They're there because they're a field rat and they know how to play it and they're really good at it. But now when they get to the college level, you have to get them prepared for the physicality of the schedule the speed of the game all of those things start to come into play and that's the hardest component for kids that come in that have a limited training age to this arena is to acclimate to what do you mean I got to be there three days a week at six o'clock in the morning and then or four days a week and then I got my individuals and then I go to class and then I got to come back and we got fall ball and I got to this and I got to that so it's, it, it's getting them to understand that they think they work hard, they think they're dialed in, so they step on campus, and automatically that demand doubles. And so the biggest things I've seen change is everything isn't exactly number-driven. There's been this, you know, there was always this thing, you know, it was a common question, right? Like, well, how much do you bench? Mm-hmm. Okay, and getting kids to understand that when you start garnering some interest and people are looking at you from a college standpoint, for the most part, they're not going to come up and ask you, Hey, how much do you squat? How much do you bench? How much do you this? How much do you that? They might, but they're not going to put a lot of stock in it. They've got strength coaches. So if they think you need to get a little stronger, think you need to get a little faster, they've got people to develop that. Um, But the concept being that coming in with some type of base and acclimation to progressing the development of the athlete makes their acclimation period a lot easier Um, when you when you throw in the weight room and then you've got individuals and then you've got teamwork and then you've got film and you've got practice and then oh yeah you got to go to school too and then you got community outreach it's all of these things that come into play so biggest thing I see and I know I'm getting off a little bit but the biggest thing I see is getting away (laughs) from things not being so number driven all the time and um knowing that um, I ask people this all the time if I take an athlete that can back squat 300 pounds and I get him to back squat 325 is that a guarantee that he's going to be a better athlete mm-hmm. and everyone's like well no not really and I said well then you can't ever lose sight of that and coming back and looking at certain things you don't have to know the whole body you don't have to know all those things but at least know and pick and choose your battles what needs to be in place In order to progress some of those things and knowing the fact that the longer we sit in that sagittal plane over and over and over again we squat up and down we clean up and down we deadlift up and down we press up and down that's not what sports are played in it's multiple you know it's multiple planes we have to still address frontal plane transverse plane single leg double leg Um, people always ask well what's what's a bad position well it's pretty much the one you can't get out of so put them in it before they get into it movement so The weight room has to be used as an enhancement, not a hindrance. And the weight room, you're establishing force absorption. So you're absorbing it and you're producing it on one leg, two legs, frontal plane, transverse plane. And all of those things come into play in their ability to express themselves as an athlete. So I'm not saying it's completely gone away. We still have a lot of things that are number driven that if a guy can bench 400, somehow he's going to be a better football player. I mean, look at the combine. You got yeah. two O alignment. You got this kid that's got great film. This kid's got just down a little bit from it. He bench press you know, he bench pressed nineteen at two twenty five. This kid that's down a little bit did twenty two. He's automatically considered to be a better athlete because he can bench more. And I always ask people, Well, are you gonna play the game on your hands? Well, no, we're not playing on our hands. So when you look at a power output and you look at transition transfer from an extra exercise to what you're actually going to do with every sport being full body activity is probably the one that gives you the least amount of carryover, in but, my opinion.
0: So you talk about the, you talk about the number side of it. Like it's not as number driven. And I assume you're, you know, like you said, you're referring to <laughs> squat bench deadlift, but mm-hmm. I have seen a, a significant increase in the, you know, paying attention to numbers from the velocity-based training element. So, you know, every school now has Tendo units hooked up on every rack. And for parents or coaches or kids who don't know what that is, that measures your bar speed. And certain bar speeds translate into certain qualities. And I feel like that is um, that is very, very big and popular. And I hear that constantly. Do you, you incorporate – I mean, or do, do, you, do you incorporate a lot of Tendo unit work, velocity-based training? Like, I mean, like – you're know, really dialing it in yeah zero
2: none zero All right.
0: zero and i'll Why's tell
2: that? you wh- and, and i'm going to tell you why you're right so i'll tell you why so when i was in the college setting we had ten units so you had it you could utilize them we would use them more for just efficiency of testing you know a long jump a vertical jump things like that but i found that when i use that on let's just say a squat I spent more time recorrecting technique than I did anything because they were so dialed into beating a number and beating each other Absolutely. I get the concept of competition and pushing each other but you can't do it to the point where you lose sight of the fact that a squat it's a learned activity and it takes time to understand how to do it correctly and so when you look at all the things that come into that, um, your body doesn't know load. So when you stand up with weight on your back, your body doesn't like tabulate. Okay. We're at 300. I know what to do. Your body understands tension. So the more tension you can create, the more bracing you can create within positionings you're going to be in with load, you're going to move the weight. So all the precursor things to that, teaching kids how to brace and how to you know, brace and carry something, and everything that they're doing—hip position and you know, activating that brace concept—and making it a 360 brace um, is more imperative to me than how fast they're moving the bar. I mean, I look at it this way: if I can't stand there and look at it and say, you know what, that's moving good—that's that set was better than the last one—well, then maybe I should get glasses, or I can do something as simple as just a stopwatch. I mean, people are like, well, it's not—you know—it's not exactly accurate. Well. I can test people's body weight with a pair of pliers if I want. As long as I do it the same way every time and I'm seeing improvement, who cares how I'm doing it, I'm seeing improvement. So if my athletes are running better, they're jumping better, they got body control, they understand tension and how to brace and do all those things, ultimately isn't that what matters?
0: Cool. I'm glad to hear you say this because I'm glad to feel like I'm not standing on an island (laughs) by myself anymore.
1: Well, you know, I I think you're beginning (laughs) to see, too, the difference – kind of a, I guess, coming back to movement as the primary means of training, uh, not as much, you know, in, in like the weight room numbers, you know, you're beginning to see that kind of being the big emphasis, especially in athletes that are, pre, say, pre-high school or certainly uh, pre-varsity. I'll put it that way. I mean, being here in, being here in Birmingham, Alabama, sure. I mean, you, you there is no bigger football capital of the world, right, it, you know, at least – so at least from high school to collegiate level. Now, uh, Texas, Texas might be up, up there, there,
0: Chris. I mean, I, th- I think football in it's, Texas it's is It's kind, of kind of
1: big, it. but, yeah, when's the last time that uh, one of those schools actually won the national championship, right?
0: <laughs> well, once they Whoa. signed it. Once there's they a, signed a, yeah, it. <laughs> there's a dark. <all> right.
1: <laughs> I'm throwing that one at my uncle. Well, anyway, so. It,
2: it, I can't I can't I can't say too much about that because the AD at Texas oh, nice. is my old yeah. boss at
1: Arizona. <laughs>
2: so I gotta be care- I got to be
1: careful on how much I'm well, anyway yeah the, uh, uh, but anyway it is interesting to see that you' you were talking about doing that early on I mean before even before you even looked at you know worried about the weight room numbers that that was sort of your first thing. but what about a more velocity type training without weight? And so in other words, yes I understand what you're saying in terms of squat you know you want to have that whole body tension or, or you know any kind of loaded movement. But what about your actual, uh, say, your sprints, your jumps, training along that line? Do you measure those? Are you uh, – I mean, clearly, we talked about L-drill and all that That's, kind of stuff. No. But do you measure those?
2: Oh, yeah, as far as – yes, absolutely, I do. You bet. And uh, I'll measure, you know, flying 10, flying 20. We'll do static starts. We'll, 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 I, I definitely track um, movement um, under time. And using that as feedback, obviously, to, um, I guess, recheck um, where we're at in the weight room and understanding the fact that I'm not going to be starting in a GPP position, like getting guys back into lifting shape and kind of getting some conditioning and getting some things under wrap coming from in-season to off-season. And while I'm going through that, start doing a ton of running with them and be shocked that their times aren't getting any better and they're actually getting slower. So you have to... You know it's looking again at the whole big picture and understanding when you're gonna emphasize it based on time and all these different things that come into your progression type things that you're doing so you know to go along with what you said before um, Chris is you know the concept of not things being so number driven is getting people to understand so if I do a talk and a high school wants me to come in or whoever wants me to come in and we talk about training and so on and so forth I'm not a big guy that's gonna that's gonna try and push or sell a system. I want people to understand how the body functions better. And they have to, at some point, they need to put the time into learning how to program and how to teach and what to look for and progress it based off of what you have available to you logistically, equipment-wise, the size of the room, and what you're comfortable teaching. And as you do it more and you spend more time doing it, you'll get comfortable with doing more things. But I guess it's the concept that when we look at strength training as mobility training, it changes things an awful lot and you can accomplish a lot more with that mindset
1: than making everything right. number driven yeah and then so so let's just let's back up for just a minute to the weight room so clearly I mean yes improving somebody's max is a big deal Give us an idea of how how would you like to see an athlete progress say over a Oh, let's just say a three month period. I, I'm a ninth grader. I'm just coming in to see you for the first time. You know, you've evaluated me. Okay. My movements are good enough. I can start lifting. What is, what's something you would like to see from that person from a, say a weight room standpoint? What would you like to see from them <laughs> like pr- improvement wise from a speed standpoint? Where's some, would give us like a, a general idea, you know, uh, just, you know, let's say I come sure. in, I'm ninth grader, I can bench press 120 pounds. I don't know, throw some number out there.
2: Okay, so I first thing I look at is, okay, so you're, you're a ninth grader and you can bench press 120 pounds. You're not going to get anything out of training, anything velocity-based. You don't know how to strain. You're still learning how to do it. You need to get the kid to a certain, to a certain level. And you know everyone can set different levels as to where they need to get before you can start changing and adding some let's be honest they're fairly complex things to what they're doing so when I look at a workout whether I got somebody two times a week three times a week four times a week there's certain things that I want athletes and I say athletes it can be a youth kid mm-hmm. it can be a high school a college or even an adult it doesn't make any difference so I go through things and I, there's certain things that they need to be able to do they should be able to hip hinge they should be able to squat They should be able to lunge pull, push, brace, and carry something. And so the biggest area that I find that is lacking with kids' ability to do that, and I'll just use as an example, is a hip hinge. And that's basically, okay, you can be a a straight leg deadlift, an RDL, anything where you're hip hinging and loading glute hamstring. And when you look at the hip position, you're, you're, you're trying to maintain hip position and not passively extend that low back. And so I've had kids that have come in with me at the high school level where literally, I'll start them on their knees and set their upper body position and they hinge their rear end back to their heels and they stand and they come back up. And then I'll add a band to it. And then I'll add a kettlebell at their chest. And then I'll put them on their feet. Stay with the band because the band can guide them back and then they, when they come through, they can use that band as a reference to find out where their hip position is at, and actually engage the glutes mm. and feel the flexion in the low ab. Then I'll put a weight in their hand, and once that's dialed in, then I'll progress more to single leg type stuff. So a lot of that's going to be based on I need to I, first and foremost I need to get caught up what's weak, which is pretty much everything. Internal external rotators at the hip have to be strengthened and turned on. Um, Glute activation, low ab activation has to be turned on to be able to adjust and find hip position in order to unload or stop preloading hamstring. So when you watch kids run, you watch kids in the weight room, they always lose position at the hip. And their default pattern is to passively extend at the low back. And so when you see that, it preloads the hamstrings and they get to a certain point in the squat they're gonna lose it forward. So now it becomes a quad low back activity and they're really taking that glute hamstring out of it. So when they come, they're all cathodic. So their anterior very tight. Front side is tight, psoas is tight, hip flexors are tight. And so a common thing that we all deal with is low back issues. Okay, my back is sore, my left low back is sore, my right mid back is sore. All those things come into play. A lot of that is stemmed from the fact that they, <clears throat> everything that we do a lot in our lives, our hips are in a flex position. We're squatting, we're doing all that stuff, we're sitting all day, if it's an adult, all these things, so everything gets tight and compressed. Well, the main stabilizer of your SI low back is your psoas. So when that gets short and compressed, the hip flexors get compressed. The one thing that it shuts off is the person's ability to extend the hip. And so everything that we do is a flexion. We squat, we flex, we run, we flex. We don't emphasize enough, in my opinion, of the extension component so I'm gonna spend time on getting a lot of those things in place if I got a kid that's got you know his ankles are locked he can't create a shin angle there's not much give there I'm not gonna just pound it and stretch it same thing with hamstring people say okay well my low back heart hurts well your hamstrings are tight so we're gonna stretch your hamstrings Well, what happens after three days their back is even more sore because all they're doing is arching their low back and it's all about using the concept to create space so I'm gonna work on glute activity low ab activity and then use that as a way to get the hip to move and the more we expose them to that then the hamstring starts to shorten so when you're standing it's at its shortest length when you bend the knee it has to lengthen and so starting with the hip hinge is kind of the precursor for me to everything that they do going into it and that gives me more time to get all these other things in place and whether I'm doing a goblet squat or um, whatever I'm doing with them the coaching cues are always the same so if it's a double leg squat with a kettlebell, a med ball, a weight plate, doesn't make any difference. My cues are the same, and then I'll put a zombie squat, then I'll go to a front squat, then I'll go to a back squat. The cues are all the same, and all that's going to change is the so load still. It ultimately and comes, how much still do do comes
1: it. down to movement, not even not necessarily high velocity, not necessarily yep. super high load, but position first, then and then and then start you know working out. 100%. Of there. So yeah, yeah.
2: they can get into those positions with load and they do it to the point that they don't get it wrong. I can add speed to it because going through that process, they've gotten stronger. They have adjusted to it. Now they're getting to a place a a point where I can add in, um, velocity based type things and I'll see more of an improvement, um, in their movement. But I'm not going to take kids. Let's say I got a kid that's I got four days a week. I'm not going to take a kid and do one day back squat where it's, we're just working on load and then the next time we do legs we're gonna do it more velocity based you're constantly exposing them so much to that sagittal plane and it's flex 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 and then when you look at those type of programs their warm-up is limited their hip extensions limited activation is limited and so in turn you're const- you just gonna to continue to develop imbalances like I look at a kid when he does a bodyweight squat you'll see a lot of times you'll see a right hip shift Okay, Well, when you see that, you're going to see it in a hip hinge. You're going to see it in the squat. You're going to see it a hip hinge. When they lay on the ground, that left hip is going to sit higher than the right. So if I put them on something as simple as a leg curl, and I want to activate hamstring, I'm going to block something underneath the right hip so their hips sit even, so I can actually turn on the right hamstring and eliminate the tone in the mid-back on the right side. I pull it away, and they're still dropping and rotating. Until I don't see that, I'm not going to load them. Because when you see it in that position and you see them doing a bodyweight squat or you even see them do a hip rock, so they're on all fours, their feet are back behind them, and they're sitting their hips back, just having them pull their toes under, you'll still see that shift. When I don't see that, I'll load them. Prior to that, all I'm going to do is exasperate the problem because if they can't control that position without an external load, what's an external load going to
1: do? It's going to make it twice as bad. And uh, increase the risk for injury and you know, fill in the blank. Right, from there, for, yeah, it's loading pre, you know, before they're ready. Yeah, well, 100%,
2: because then you look at force absorption. We, You know, I think people, there's three things that you can do to your body that are the most abrasive, run, jump, and throw mm-hmm. something, something that kids do all the time, right? Well, when we run, mm-hmm. it's six times your body weight that you're absorbing from the ground up through hips and low back. You jump in the air in the land, it's 12 times your body weight. So now, all of a sudden, you look at... A, you're in the squat rack. It's, it's not ballistic, you're just doing a normal squat. Well, if you've got hip shift, they're giving up their arches, so they're losing the arch on the right, they're rolling out to the, on the left side, and they're counter-rotating up top, so their hips are going one way, upper body's going the other way. You're, it's now 14 times. So I mean, if you squat correctly, you're still going to absorb seven times the load on the bar, which is why bracing and te- creating tension is so important. When you don't do that and it shifts, now it's going to double. So if you look at the force you're absorbing in a squat rack not doing it right on top of running, on top of jumping, on top of throwing things, that culmination of that total sum of the stresses is going to build up, and it, unfortunately it's got to come out somewhere. Right. And that's where stuff starts to break down. People think if you can't squat, well, then how am I supposed to train their legs? <laughs> There's a lot of things you can do to train someone's legs to get them prepared to squat. It's the same thing with bench you know, they're, they're unstable and they're getting pain on that left side and stuff, take the time to look at what makes the bench. What do I have to use to, make, to get my bench better? Well, I need lat strength, I need scap strength, I need rhomboid strength, I need rotator strength, and I need tricep strength. So in the meantime, I can spend time on just isolating that, getting it caught up, getting it caught up, start with a push-up, then go to a dumbbell, then, go to a, uh, then progress to a bar. So it's not always doing it just to do it. You know, you you always hear the stories of a kid that comes in and squats, and they're like, oh, you got to get lower. Let's put some more weight on the bar. Those are the things that kind of make you cringe um, when you hear that stuff. But it's looking at, in theory, this is what it should look like. Unfortunately, this is reality. So what do I need to do to get them closer to reality so that they're getting the benefit, they're not at risk, and I can continue to progress them?
0: And I want to touch on that. Kind of reality type thing as well, because um, it, it leads me into kind of a two a two phase question of like of one being, you know, preparing these kids, you know, for what they're walking into going to college or even college preparing to walk into going to you know the professional level. But the reality side of stuff leads me to how has the mental approach changed over the last. Few years, and I'll preface in saying, one of the things that resonated with me when I met you was just your, I, I just the way that you presented the information, which is a great quality of a great strength coach. It, you may it, you make it resonate with the athlete, but what I feel like I have seen lately over the last five, six, seven years, maybe longer, is what I call the expert mentality. Young athletes tend to come in with this preconceived notion and parents as well of what should be you know what they should be doing based on social media and TikTok and it it messes with the mental side of it and they don't want to go do the you know do all the precursors that you talked about you know they feel they should be ready to go do you know, whatever stupid BS TikTok thing is out there. So mm-hmm. it's kind of a two-part question. One, if that makes sense. Like, how have you seen this, the mental side of stuff and Have you had to adapt your approach with that?
2: Um, my philosophy has always been it's about the outcome. It's not about the income. So when, let's, for example, NFL guy comes into me, every guy that comes in and wants to train, I ha- they have to interview with me. And the first question I always ask them is, are you willing to surrender to what you need to do in order to do what you want to do better? And if they're not, we have a nice conversation and I don't work with them because if I got to ask them to do it once, I'm going to do it 50 more times. They just have to understand that we need to fill in the blanks of where you're, of of what you're lacking. And this has to be nonstop teachable moments. Of getting you to the point of you getting a better understanding of why we're doing what we're doing and how it's going to impact down the road. So if you got a younger athlete, we're doing this now so that when it actually matters, um, you're there and you're doing it and it's in place. So um, you know, social media is—I don't know—it's the root of it's the root of so many problems because. You know, everyone wants instant gratification, right? So they post something out there and they went, you know, if they don't get, you know, 500,000 likes, my God, the sun's not going to rise tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But it's the same thing. It's like everybody bases their philosophy on what they see on social media. And, and a lot of these guys post stuff with their A people. And it's just something that's cool and it's flashy and it's catchy and it looks, you know, it it's what we... And it may be something that they... May not ever do. It's just something they came up with and they're like, oh, I'm going to throw it out there and just see where it goes. Versus, okay, that's great, but that's your A guy. But uh, what are you doing to develop the C, D, and E athlete to get them to where you want them to be? And I think that's, you know, from, from the mental standpoint, it's just getting parents to understand that, um, like, I have, a, I have a numbering system here. So kids are N for new and then it goes five through one. And initially, not now, but years ago when I first started, parents were always frustrated because they wanted to come in a half an hour earlier versus, you know, instead of 3.30, they had to come at 4. Well, as I explained to them, the reason I'm doing this is because I don't want your 14-year-old kid to be in a group of kids that are getting ready to go play college football. Your kid needs to be in the proper class, working on the proper progressions as to where they're at. It has nothing to do with perceived athletic ability. It's purely where are they at in the concept of athletic development and go from there so once that was understood it was better but yeah you're always going to you're always going to have that um kind of misconceived notion that you know it's kind of what I alluded to before there's a lot of people that will dictate what they do with somebody based off of perceived athletic ability so when mom and dad think Johnny is the you know he's the greatest thing since sliced bread um you know he should be doing this and he should be doing that it's kind of you know it's kind of like dealing with coaches in college you know you deal with egos and all the things that come into that and they know the grounds crews jobs better and they know your job better and they know their job better than anybody so it's you can never get away from the concept of trying to educate people and letting them know you don't you know and especially the kids you don't know what you don't know they only know what they have been taught and they only know what they see and they become a product of what they're always exposed to so getting them in here and just breaking stuff down and getting them to understand that this is where you need to be in order to get to that. Um, sometimes it's an easy transition. Sometimes it it takes a while.
0: That's great. That's great info. I'm stealing a few <laughs> of those John, phrases we'll from them. you. Yeah, John okay. will steal so them. So if you see you those on social media, I'm stealing them from you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I will. Hey, I'll give you credit. I'm giving you credit right now for there, their are Brad Arnett's, not mine. Uh, but you right. know,
2: but there's parents, too, that come in, and I will literally call the parents and say, you need to come pick up your kid. And they'll show up, and they're like, what's wrong? I'm like, well,
1: yep.
2: it's been three weeks now. And they have no work ethic. Their body language sucks. They roll their eyes. They don't want to do this. They don't like this. They can't this. They can't that. And it's something that they wanted. You gave it to them, and so now they're already looking for what's the next thing I want to get. Mm-hmm. And... Their comment is, well, what am I supposed to do? And my response has always been, what we do here is about the outcome. It's not about the income. So whether your kid is here or not, in my opinion, it's not going to affect whether my lights stay on or not. Your kid needs to learn some certain, it needs to learn things in order to get more out of what we're doing here. This isn't just about sets and reps. It's about kind of what you alluded to, the, the mental component of it and in the, in the standpoint of, if I ask kids to make a list of things that would give me a list of seven things that you would focus on that don't require talent that would make you a better person so they give you seven things and a lot of it's the same so it's you know it's work ethic it's character it's body language it's all those things right and then you ask them well what would you change in this list if it the question was what would you focus on that doesn't require talent to make you a better athlete and they look at it and they're like huh. I don't know. I wouldn't probably wouldn't change anything. You wouldn't. Nor do you need to. So it's getting parents to understand that your kid needs to understand the importance of consistent work ethic. And they're always like, "Well, what am I supposed to do?" I, and I ask them, "You really you really ready for this because it's a three-step process." They're like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, what do I got to do?" It's called a rake, a shovel, and a lawn mower. <laughs> Introduce them to it. Nice. Uh,
0: Yes. I like it. I like it. You're right though. All right. Final final question. Yep, yep. So, yep. Go no, go ahead. Finish your thought. Finish your thought. I was just
2: gonna say because you know, for the most part everybody works hard or they think they work hard. But I I could say that. And how long people work hard is what differentiates people. Some guys will work hard for a week, some may work for two weeks, some may work for they work hard their entire life. It's all they know, it's it's kinda in their in their blood, so to speak. It is what it is. So it's that it's that constant teachable moments to get them to understand the importance of that concept and getting them to be more consistent with it. So, you know, you can ask anybody, like, what's the one variable that you could probably say makes anything in life consistent or successful? Right. It's consistency.
0: Athletes, younger athletes, if you're listening to this, I hope you are taking this to heart. You guys... We did. A, a, Brad has been in this industry a long, long time, and we talked about just you know briefly. You know, JJ Watt, one of those guys, but Brad has worked with tons and tons and tons of other professionals. The information you just heard is something you should have listened to over and over and over again. And so I want uh, I want to ask one final question. And even though you probably already alluded to it, one piece of advice that you would give an athlete what would it be
2: how much time do i have
0: as much as you want man <laughs>
2: <laughs> no it's you know so i mean it, it's a great question and i want to preface this answer as much to the athlete as i do to as i want to to the parent and and here it goes so athletes work out there on club teams they travel they go to these showcases they do all this stuff because they want to try and create an exposure opportunity to garner an opportunity to play at the next level and wherever that is it doesn't make any difference but they want to be able to play at the next level kids need to understand the percentage of kids in the United States when you look at all of the kids that play sports in high school the actual percentage of kids that play beyond high school is roughly seven percent that can be juco d3 d2 d1 so when you look at the hundreds of thousands of kids that do it that's a really small, small percentage that actually garner an opportunity to go to the next level and when you go from college to the professional level it's even less so the advice I can give to kids is understand the fact you need to have a really good understanding of what you're getting into going to college and you have to approach it and go into it with a plan and that plan is if I'm gonna go to college and I want to compete in a sport I'm gonna get a good education and I want to set myself up to do something beyond college you're gonna find it you're gonna find like-minded people and you're gonna find that opportunity if you are going to college to party and have a good time and do this and do that and do all these different things well guess what you're gonna find that as well so whatever you go in with whatever your plan is and whatever you're looking for you're gonna find it and when you find it are you gonna stick with it so that's the first thing the second thing is is that when you get to college you have to understand the fact that the the job of the coaches is to redline you you're gonna get redlined every day because you got film you got practice you got individuals you got the weight room you got gotta go to class you got community outreach. You got all these different things that you've got to do, and all of it is based on life skills, time management, consistency, um, showing up on time. Things that you, whether you're in college or not, are going to have to do the rest of your life. So if you show up to work late all the time, and you got horrible body language, and nobody can stand being around you, and your work ethic is shitty, how long are you going to have a job? Well, you're not going to have one very long. And it's no different than what you're doing at the college level. They're going to they're gonna help you, and they're going to guide you a little bit, but at some point, those things have to be in place. And when you get redlined, I remind kids <clears> of <throat> this all the time, you need to find something that you can do at some point to unredline yourself, whether it's once a week, every other week, once a month, whatever you think you need, and it could be something as simple as just going for a walk. Doing something in your life that's not planned. It doesn't have a predictable outcome. It doesn't, it's not like structured. It's just I'm going to do it because nothing other than the fact that I want to do it. So I'm going to go for a bike ride. You know what? I'm going to grab my fishing pole, and I'm going to walk down to the lake, and I'm going to just throw a line out. Whether I catch something or not, I don't care. And I'm going to lay back, and I'm just going to let my mind clear. It's not going to change anything coming back in the fact that what's there is still there, but you can attack it now and approach it with a clear mind. You're unredlined and you're ready to do it. So at some point, you need to do and find something that you're gonna do for yourself. So when you're on your club team, and you're on your travel team, and your family wants to go on vacation, guess what? Go on the vacation. Just do it, because at some point, you're gonna look back and you're gonna go, man, I wish I would've done more for me. In the years I was in college, the amount of kids that I had sit in my office and lose it and tell me, well, I'm gonna quit school, I'm gonna quit the sport, I'm gonna stay in school, I'm gonna do this, do that. <clears throat> I never tried to talk them out of it cuz I didn't think it was my place to do that. They had gotten to a point they made their decision. I just wanted to understand why. And the question always is is why? Well, and that's exactly what I learned. I wish I would have done more for me. My whole high school career was dictated. I had to do this, I had to do that. I had to be here, I had to be there. Had to do all this stuff to try and garner an opportunity. Knowing the fact that as soon as you step on campus what you think is hard automatically doubles. So when you got an opportunity to spend time with your family and go on a trip and do different things, be a kid, do things that are going to create memories that will last a lifetime and don't allow yourself to get to the point where, um, you, 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 you basically, you do get burnt out. The flip side of it is mom and dad. Parents always ask me, what can I do to help my kid prepare for college? I said, from what aspect? And they're like, well, you know, Johnny's getting looked at from this school and this school and that school, and he's starting to, you know, he's kind of starting the recruiting process. You know, what can I do to help that? And my first response without hesitation is always stay out of it. You can guide, you can ask questions, you can ask your child to make a pros and cons list, but at some point you have to understand that this is not your journey. It's their journey. And your child needs to understand what they're really getting into so if they're going to go to a d1 school let's say they're getting an opportunity to go to a d1 school they have to understand you have to without a doubt be in love with the process and you can't get emotionally attached to the outcome because as soon as you go to that point you're done there's so many kids that I've had that were walk-ons at d1 that developed it I mean J.J. Watt, we know who he is. He was a walk-on. Chris Maragos, two Super Bowl rings, was a walk-on. Brady Ewing was in the NFL for 10 years, was a walk-on. T.J., J.J.'s younger brother, was was going to be a walk-on. I mean, I could go on and on and on about so many guys that I've worked with and gone through this process that they didn't play till their junior year, maybe their senior year, but when they got the opportunity, they took full advantage of it. So you have to be in love with the process and not get emotionally attached early on to the outcome and understand that it is about the long game. See, the problem today is kids want to go to college and they want to be the guy. They want um, to be the stud. And that's just not reality. And so you've got to go through that process of continuing to learn who you are, develop who you are, and those failures and those successes is what's going to help mold and shape who you are. So that's a big thing. So stay out of it. Don't make the biggest burden your kids have to, have to bear is your unlived life. Don't do that to your kids. If it's D1, D2, D3, who cares? Because now you have to look at a checklist. If there's no money involved in a certain sport, but they're recruiting my kid, can my family do this from a monetary standpoint and not be in debt for the next 25 years? The second thing is, is it the right fit for my kid academically? If a majority of his classes in the first two years he's going to be in a seminar room with 250 other kids, is he going to get washed within two weeks? Because that's just not how he functions in an educational setting. And then thirdly, is the team, the coaching, the philosophy, the culture, is everything right for my kid? Do I get a good feeling about where I'm at here? And then lastly, once you're at that school, if you think that's where you want to be and you say, okay, if I break both legs and I can never play the sport again, can I see myself going to school there? And if the answer is no, then go to the next school. Look at the next one. Because you're going to put yourself in a position where you're going to call mom and dad in a year and you're going, this ain't working. I don't want to be here. I made the wrong decision. It needs to be the hardest decision in their life. But parents can't go down the rabbit hole with them either. So if they call and, well, you know, the coach is being mean to me and he said this and he said that and I'm not getting this and I'm not getting that and I should, those are all things that you have to work on when those kids are in high school to get them to understand that part of what makes you a good teammate is a good person. So if you think somebody else is getting an opportunity before you, okay, why? Why is that happening? Do I need to work on some more things? I mean, I always refer kids to watch the Kobe Bryant interview where he talked about where he was first in the NBA, he didn't play a whole lot. And everybody in his group told him, oh, you got to request a trade, you got to this, you got to that, you're not, you are know, not, you know, they're screwing you over and you're so much better and blah, 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 blah. And he came to the realization that, you know what, I'm not good enough. I need to work on I need to work on these things to get better at them. And what did he do? He eliminated those people from his life because he knew he wasn't good enough, he needed to be better, and he was going to do what he needed to do to do that. And going through that process is what made the Kobe Bryant that we all know who he was today. And then the flip side, mom and dad, please help develop your kids' life skills. And I ask kids this all the time. You wash your own clothes? No, my mom does. Okay, so you realize if you get to college, you can't go in the locker room with a a bin of dirty clothes and put it on one pin and they're going to wash it whether you're in you know whether you're in an apartment or the dorms you still gotta wash your own clothes and then I'll ask him do you ever cook no my mom cooks everything learn how to cook who's gonna cook for you when you're in an apartment other than opening up a box and adding some water and throwing it in the microwave so it's all these things that mom and dad want to do everything for their kids you can't it's okay for your kids to struggle and it's okay for them to go through a failure component because if you don't fail Are we actually learning? And I say this to kids, too. Like, you know, I may go watch one of our athletes at a game, and let's say they get burnt, okay? They come down and make a tackle, and the guy jukes them, and they're gone. Oh, you know, he's hanging his head, is this and that. And I come down, and I'll talk to him after the game. Like, man, I should have made that play. You know, it's just this, it's this, and all this other stuff. And my comment to them always is this. If you've never been beat, you've never been burnt, you've never made a mistake, odds are you haven't been playing in a game you're in the game you're playing You're making mistakes it's all part of it it's what you do with it so it can be a stumbling block or it can be a stepping stone and so help your kids help themselves give them coping mechanisms teach them how to wash clothes teach them how to cook teach them how to time manage it's okay if they vacuum it's okay if they mow the lawn Um, my own kids I had four boys my kids never, I never made one appointment for any of my kids when they came in and train with me. They had to do it their own. And they're like, come on, what do you mean? I go, yeah. Well, my, my youngest was 10, 11 years old. He had to pick up the phone, call the front desk, and make his own appointment. If it's important to you, you're going to learn how to do it, and you're going to learn how to communicate, and you're going to learn how to do things on your own. And yeah, I made rules that were meant to be broken. And people always ask me, and they say, well, what does that even mean? because you have to look at it from the standpoint, it's always about the outcome. So if I'm gonna make rules that I know are gonna be broke, it's always gonna give me an opportunity for a teachable moment. So if you make all these stupid rules, like, okay, you come into the weight room and your Gatorade bottle's gotta be facing a certain way and you gotta have your, foul, your towel folded a certain way and you gotta look, I mean, I wouldn't, know how, I wouldn't remember all the shit either. It just gets to the point where you gotta let kids be kids, but you have to understand that they're gonna make mistakes. And guide them through that and make things teachable moments and if your kid really wants it and they're showing that they want it and they're working for it and they're seeking help and they're doing things on their own they're in a right place but also understand that there's some sports there is no money so when you look at sports besides football basketball lacrosse soccer baseball all these sports have anywhere from 12 to 12.7 full scholarships that they have to divvy out amongst however many people they're going to carry on on roster so let's use a lacrosse team I'll say lacrosse because three of my boys played college lacrosse so let's use lacrosse well you got roughly 50 guys on roster 12.7 full scholarships you have to divvy out amongst however many you're going to do it with so you may get an opportunity to play there but there's no monetary support so in turn where can you get monetary support academics and so I always ask parents, okay, great. Johnny's getting an opportunity, and you like the school, and he likes that. And they'll say, well, you know, there may be money, there may not be money. Well, you need to understand, more than likely, there's not going to be money. So if you look at lacrosse, out of 100 and some D1 programs, 0.79% of kids get money their first year. Where does that money come from? Academics. So if your kids' grades aren't there, and you want him to go to D one so that it can be a social status for you, you're going to be in debt for the next 25 years because you're paying the whole boat. So grades are important. Preparation is important. All these things come into play. So when parents want to help the process, help your kid help himself because I tell kids all the time. So next weekend I'll be hosting my high school combine. It's for Wisconsin kids. I do it in conjunction with WFC. It was the Wisconsin Football Coaches Association. So we'll have roughly 650 kids that will come through this combine, and there's about 129 college coaches that have committed to being here. And I tell all of these kids before we go, these these coaches want to talk to you in person. They want to get a feel for who you are. They will remember you more. With a firm handshake, looking him in the eye and having an adult conversation more so than anything you ever did running, jumping, or anything or any of the other testing that we're doing. So it's how you represent yourself and help your kid get away from texting and get away from emailing and actually having adult face to face conversation and promoting themselves through conversation.
0: You, you got yeah. fired By the way, John, that would be a great segue
1: to uh, also, <laughs> what, I mean, just kind of piggyback Man. on what Brad said, going back and listening to the Brent Rooker interview uh, and all the things. I mean, there's a lot of wisdom in there as well, you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You see the same common themes with all the great, all the great players. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Brad, I, I appreciate the insight on everything, um, mm-hmm. you know, and. Uh, I think we've already got our follow-up episode, uh, you know, planned. Uh, we're going to dig into that more, <laughs> you know. Fantastic. But, uh, Brad, where, uh, where can people find you? Um, website, social.
2: Sure. So you can go to my website is www. It's NXLevel. So it's NX, NX com. And then um, on social media, you can just look for NXBrad. And whether it's Instagram, Twitter wherever it is you can log on next level athletics has um excuse me we have an instagram page twitter page um uh, and whatnot so um they can they can get on anywhere any of those sites
0: and um check us out awesome thank you brad. thank you so much for joining us brad guys pay your dues share the show we appreciate you guys thank we you love you guys me. talk to you soon